Turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. We'll be in verse 18. Well, this is the culmination of our Advent series, and we're going to be talking about the birth of Christ. You know, every Christmas there seems to be a a push to put Christ back in Christmas. Have you heard that? Keep Christ in Christmas over and over again? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily, Um, especially when people are trying to remind us of the reason for the season, why do we celebrate Christmas? But I think as the secular world shifts further and further from the gospel, I think we as believers should also be concerned that we are cropping the true meaning of Christ out of Christmas. And what I mean is, we tend to crop the cross out of the Christmas story. When you look at the manger, when you see the wise men, when you see the shepherds, are you reminded of the cross? And so this morning, I'm hoping that we will remind ourselves of the cross of Christ. Many of you remember the good old days where we had these things called photos, right? And they came in paper form, not so digital. And when you broke up with your girlfriend, you would take some scissors and you would cut them out of the photo. Do you guys remember that? Nowadays, we have digital stuff where we can do whatever we want, but we would crop them out of the picture. And I think as Christians, we sing these these hymns, we sing these carols, uh, we have the joy of the traditions and the sentiments, and then we crop out the main reason for the season, that Jesus Christ is born to die. He was born for a purpose, and that is to die as the sacrificial lamb. And an antidote to this is found in our passage this morning. This morning shows us three things about the birth of Christ. Number one, it is supernatural in origin. It is surrounded by mystery. And three, it is spoken of by the prophets. So let's go ahead and look at the first verse of chapter 1, verse 18. Excuse me, I'm going to read the whole thing. The birth of Jesus Christ came about in this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we approach the text this morning, help us to be ever mindful of the purpose of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we are taken up by the sentiments and the the beauty of the whole pageantry. 
of Christmas, may we be ever mindful that there is a gruesome cross hanging in the foreground. Lord, help us to be reminded of the true purpose of Christmas. Father, as we think about Christmas this morning, I also want to lift up the um, country estate, Southern Baptist Church over uh, near Hereford. Lord, as they lost their pastor yesterday, and I pray that um, that congregation would be comforted by your word this morning, that your truth would guide them, and that you would be with that congregation as they seek to honor you. Lord, I lift up all the churches that are preaching the gospel this morning, that the gospel would go forth clearly, that you would unblind the eyes of those who have been deceived by the evil one, and that people would be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you, and we beg for your mercy upon us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you look at verse 1, verse 18, it says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. Now, what you don't see is in the original language, this word birth also has the same um, connotation as genesis. In fact, it's the Greek word genesis. And genesis is mentioned at the very beginning of chapter 1. If you look at verse or chapter 1, verse 1, it says an account of the genesis or the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And so what we see here is Matthew is laying out the natural genealogy, and the supernatural genealogy. So Genesis 1 through 17 is the natural genealogy of Jesus. So the first thing we want to look at is the birth of Jesus Christ is supernatural in origin. So we look at the natural. We see that he is a descendant of Abraham and of David, ultimately. 18 through 25, we see it is a supernatural if you are a young person in this room listening to this story, what do you think a supernatural thing is? What do you think? How many of you have heard of Superman? Right, so he is more than a man. He is Superman. And in the same way, supernatural means that there is more than the natural. It is something outside of the norm. It is something unusual. Something that is not natural. And we see that in 18 through 25 that, that Jesus comes from a supernatural place. Jesus is not just a man. And in Christmas time, we see a lot of people pontificating about this. And one of the things that they say is that Jesus is only a man. He's a mere man, a really wise man maybe. But the reality is if Jesus was a wise man, but he yet he claimed to be God, we would call him crazy unless he was God. And so Jesus is supernatural in origin. But at the same time, he has a natural origin. He is of the line of David. Mary and Joseph both can draw their lineage back to David. And that's important, and we're, we'll see why as we go forward. And then we see this. It says it came about in this way. So the birth of Jesus has happened in this way after his mother, Mary, has been engaged to Joseph. Engaged or betrothed is, a, is about a year-long formal contract between a man and a woman during this time. And what would happen is Joseph and Mary uh, have decided to get married or their families may have arranged it. And what would happen is that he would pay essentially the, the down payment for uh, his, his wife and she would be at her home for a whole year. 
And this whole year would be a time of, of waiting and anticipation, getting ready for the, the wedding. And so it was a formal contract. It was really about as good as, as anything um, in a marriage. So it, this is a marriage in the strict sense of the word, only that they would not be living together yet. And it would not be consummated physically. And what we see here is this. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered. It was found out before they came together that she was pregnant. Man, that would really put a damper on the wedding relationship. To find out that your spouse is pregnant, your wife is pregnant. And so, if you think about this for a minute, we know the supernatural origin of this story. But how many people during that time knew the supernatural origin of the story? What do you think people would be saying about this lady named Mary and her husband Joseph, or her future husband Joseph? What do you think they would be thinking about? In, in many ways, we see this coming out in the life of Jesus. As he goes and he does miracles and he's teaching, many people, in order to discount him, would say, well, we don't even know where he comes from. We don't even know who his dad really is. Right? And they would, they would mock Jesus because of this. If you were in charge of this storyline, would you put this in there? A virgin birth. There has to be supernatural. There's no other explanation. And in fact, we know that adultery is punished just like she was married. So she would be punished in the same way as if she had committed adultery in the marriage. Deuteronomy 22 uh, verses 23 and 24 talk about the punishment for a uh, non-married or, or, a, or a betrothed woman is stoning. So Joseph is well within his rights to have Mary murdered or stoned, executing judgment. But we see that her husband Joseph is a righteous man. Being a righteous man means he would want to fulfill the law. means he wants to do what the law says. And the law says... The punishment for adultery, for being pregnant outside of marriage, is stoning. You know, it should not be surprising to us that God can create life in any way that He chooses. This is, a, you know, this is an area where a lot of people get tripped up. That Mary, a virgin, could get pregnant. Why are we so tripped up about that? Is it because we don't believe that God created the world out of nothing? We believe in the, the virgin birth of the universe, but we get tripped up over the virgin, virgin birth of our Christ? That's crazy. The miraculous nature of, of this birth is really essential to the Christian faith because this doctrine is, is an uh, essential doctrine. In fact, if you, if you jump back into the, the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I want to read it to you. It says, and I, this is God speaking, will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on your, the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the very first picture of the gospel. That even though Adam and Eve have, have fallen, they've sinned, and the whole world is cursed, in Genesis 3.15 there's a glimmer of hope. There's going to be a seed, a child, that will be born of a woman that will crush the head of the serpent. In fact, Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of the time came, 
God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. God the Father sends the Holy Spirit to the womb of Mary to conceive God the Son. This Trinitarian picture of the virgin birth is is important for our faith. It's important because Jesus did not inherit a sin nature from the seed of Adam. This is really important that we see that, that Jesus Christ is born of a woman, not of a woman and a man. And the reason for that is because Adam passes on the sin nature. And the sin nature that is passed on through Adam did not come to Christ. Jesus is also fully God. So in the fact, in the way that, that Jesus did not inherit the sin nature, it is the fact that he is fully God and at the same time fully man. He's fully God because only God could bear the full wrath due to the sin of rebellious humans. Only an infinite God can bear out the infinite sins of the human being. When I, when I think about sin, sometimes we think of sin as a, as a temporary thing. That's something we've done that has now passed on. But if you are God and you are infinite, you are outside of time, your sin is always before the face of God. Have you thought about that? That your sin is eternally in front of His face. Because He is timeless. He is not within time. You and I, we could do something, my wife could do something mean to me and hurt my feelings. And as time goes on, it begins to fade because it was in the past. But for God, there is no time. God has always has the sin in front of him. And so only an infinite being can take the full wrath of God. But he's also fully man because we need a human being who is a representative. And the representative must be drawn from the group that's charged with the crime. It cannot be outside of us. Someone outside of us cannot step in for our place. And that is what this Jesus did, this supernatural event. In the Old Testament, Jesus is referred to as the branch of David. But he's also the branch of God. It's so interesting to me that the prophets would call this Jesus that's about to come, this Messiah, the branch of David and the branch of God. He's both. He is God and man. He is God in human flesh. The birth of Christ is a supernatural supernatural in origin. But also, it is surrounded by mystery. Look at verse 19 with me. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. So in order to break off a betrothal, It would be like a divorce. You would have to write out a full certificate of divorce to break up this potential marriage. And so in our thinking, I mean, we can't say that it's anything but a marriage. There's a contract here. And so because he's righteous, he has to follow the law. Because if he doesn't follow the law, he would be then what? Unrighteous, exactly. So he is righteous. But at the same time, we see something pulling in him. Something odd. Look at this at the very end of 19. Not wanting to disgrace her publicly. Righteousness demands a public stoning. But he does not want to disgrace her publicly. He's he's loaded with mercy. Joseph is a merciful man. If you think about it, this man, in his mind, probably says, you know what? Mary 
slept with someone else and is having a baby by somebody else. But instead of taking wrath out on her, he offers mercy. He wants to divorce her privately or in secret. Joseph knew the law, but at the same time he was merciful. This says a lot about the character of Joseph. He's a good Jewish man, but he's also a kind and merciful man. Though it was well within his right, he couldn't bring himself to shame her publicly. And then he fell asleep thinking about this decision. In verse 20, it says, But after he had considered these things, and and the Greek is almost more forceful. It says, after he had decided these things, he had come to his mind, he had come to a decision, he was going to divorce Mary. And just like us, God intervenes, and he was visited by an angel. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, you know, Matthew is interesting in the fact that he only shows these dreams coming to Joseph. Right? If we know the whole story from Luke, we see that, that the angel of the Lord came to Mary, the angel of the Lord came to many folks. But here we see the angel of the Lord coming to Joseph. In fact, he visits Joseph several times. He's warned about Herod, and then he goes back from and he comes back from Egypt. He's warned again and he goes and settles in Nazareth. But the focus is on the angel's speech, not the appearance of the angel. Have you thought about that before? Why is it that the angel is not described? That would be pretty interesting. If if I was going to tell you a story about an angel coming to me, I'm going to tell you about that angel because that's amazing. But Matthew doesn't do that. Matthew focuses on what the angel says. And this is important. It's about what he says. First of all, he addresses him. Joseph, son of... Of David. Do you see that that connection there? That's important. Son of David, not because Joseph's dad's named David, but because he's of the lineage of David, which means something prophetic, something important is about to be said. And he says, Son of David, meaning you are of the royal line, enforcing that reality of Jesus' lineage. He says, Don't be afraid. Isn't it interesting that every time an angel pops up, this, the first thing they like to tell you is don't be afraid? Right? So those little cute cherubims that we see running around with little bows and arrows and stuff, that's not a picture of a real angel. An angel is fearsome, something to be surprised at, to be scared of. And he says, don't be afraid of taking Mary as your wife because she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. If you look at verse 20... It says, because she has been conceived in her, what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is the second time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in connection with Mary in this passage. That's important to notice that this Holy Spirit is the one who has impregnated Mary. This is the birth of God in human flesh. Matthew is very intent on showing you that Jesus Christ while mysterious, his birth is very much a mystery to us, has a supernatural origin. There's nothing new under the sun because that's the one area that people like to attack when they attack the Christmas season. And this mystery, here's the mystery. She will have a son. Look at this, verse 21. She will give birth to a son. That's before sonograms. And you are to name him Jesus 
because he will save his people from their sins. I really think this is the fulcrum of the passage. I think this is the main point of the message that we have here in Matthew. I think Matthew is really bringing our attention to this point here. This child has a purpose. He is born to die on the cross. He is born to live the perfect life and to die. This is, his name is Jesus. His name will be Jesus. You are to name him Jesus. Now, if you were paying attention, you would wonder, well, why is he called Emmanuel? Well, we'll get to that. Jesus is a common Jewish name. The Greek here, Jesus, is the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua. So the Greek, if, you were named, if your name was Joshua, you would be called Jesus in the Greek. The reason we call him Jesus is because that is the English pronunciation of the Greek. That's how he is revealed in the New Testament. And so if Jesus is revealed in the New Testament by the name Jesus, that's what I'm going to call him. I'm not going to kind of come up with some Hebrew name and call him that because I'm an English speaker. So just so you know, some people get real twisted around by this. Um, the beauty of this historic figure Joshua, though, is important. The fact that, there, that his, his name is transliter, transliterated from Joshua is important. Who was Joshua in the Old Testament? He was a massively important historical figure to the Jews. What did he do? He brought the people into the promised land. This is the Jesus that we have here before us. He's bringing his people into the promised land. He is saving his people from the wilderness. His purpose is to save His people from their sins. Look at this, this verse. Because He will save His people from their sins. Acts 13.23 says, From the seed of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. You know, as we look at, this, at Jesus in this season, we should not be able to crop out the cross. When you see the manger here before us, you need to see his death. Jesus did not come to give us good sentiments and happy-go-lucky feelings. He came to save us, which is great joy. But to be able to be saved, you have to be of his people. You have to be grafted in to his people. It's so easy to lose sight of the significance of this moment that Jesus was born of a virgin for the sake of saving his people. He didn't come to a, a big palace or a protected village or a uh, castle. He came to a virgin mom and a dad who was a poor carpenter. He came to the weakest point of history. In fact, the Hebrew name meaning, or excuse me, the only way that we can be saved is through Jesus. It is exclusive. There is no other way for salvation. And under no other name can we be saved. In fact, the Hebrew meaning of the name of Joshua is the salvation of the Lord. The salvation of the Lord, or to sum it up, Savior. When you see the name Joshua, think Savior. When you see the name Jesus, think Savior. This title... This name is given to our Lord because that is who He is 
And it is what He does. He saves us. And what does He save us from? That's the ultimate question. What are we saved from? The wrath of God. The wrath of God to sins. We are saved from our sins. I like how Spurgeon says this. He says, The first link between my soul and Christ is not my goodness, but my badness. Not by merit, but by my misery. Not my standing, but my falling. Not my riches, but my need. Are any of you in here spiritually needy? Do any of you sin continually? That's the first step in our Savior. Every single one of us here needs a Savior. And He comes for you. Friends, Jesus came to earth not to admire us, not because you are lovely, not because there's anything in you that is delightful, but because of Himself. Praise, he didn't come to praise us for our ability or our goodness, but to remove our deformities. Not to compliment us, but to create us into a new creation. The child that was born in Bethlehem on that year should be born in our hearts in order to, to transform us, not leave us the same. We need to recognize that we are not enough. I hate to break it to you, you are not enough. It should make us raise our eyes to the One who is. We should look at Christ who is. His love for us is radically different than our love for others. We love others most often because of what they can do for us. Whether it be a good feeling, whether it be to make us a sandwich, whether it be things. We love others for what we can get, but we don't offer anything to Him. And this is important. When my love grows cold, I need to look at this Jesus who came to the undeserving and the undesirable like me. The birth of Christ, as number one, is supernatural in origin. It's surrounded by mystery. And finally, it's spoken of by the prophets. The birth of Christ is spoken of by the prophets. Look at verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Matthew likes to use this formula. He repeats this often because he's really trying hard to show us that the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The point of the Old Testament is to display Christ. The Old Testament is the manger in which Christ is born into. That is how we see Christ. We open the Word to see Him. And so Matthew, directed by the Holy Spirit, includes what seems to be a summary statement in verses 22 through 23. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken. In your Bibles, you probably see the quotation marks. You see these quotation marks at the... Um, excuse me. Yeah, verse 20, the angel speaks. And the angel speaks all the way down through 21. And at the end of 21, you should see an end of your quotations. And then he sort of sums it up. So Matthew has, by the, by the um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, included this section. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And it says this, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. Now some 
really smart people, much smarter than I, have gone back into the Old Testament. They've taken the, the, um, the word used for virgin in the Old Testament, and they said, oh, it could mean any number of things. Well, I'm going to go with God on this one, and God translates that as virgin. So that's a virgin. That's what he means. Got it. Okay. And then it says, his name will be Emmanuel. Now, this should trip you up if you're a, a reading and a thinking person. I thought his name was Jesus. Why is his name Emmanuel? Well, it's because Jesus is God with us. It is not his title, but a description of who he is. This is describing who Jesus is. Jesus is God in human flesh. It's not his title. It's not his name. It's what he does. He is God with us. And then we see Joseph. Joseph woke up in verse 24. He did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until, you know that Jesus had brothers and sisters, right? Okay. Until she gave birth to a son and, and he named him Jesus. Jesus was the only one of Mary and Joseph's children that was different. So what makes Jesus different than every child born since the beginning of the world? What do you think, young people? What makes Jesus different than every child born in the history of the world? Number one, it is supernatural in origin. Number two, it's surrounded by mystery. And number three, it was spoken of by the prophets. Those are the most important things that you need to think about as you think about this Christ. Because each of these three areas in our chapter point to the fact that Jesus is completely different than anything else in existence. The proof is not just here, but also by the way Jesus lived, perfect and sinless. He died a substitutionary death, which means that He died for us. He died in your place. He died so that you would not have to die for your own sins if you belong to Him. He was raised from the dead three days later. So when we look at the manger, we must not crop the cross out of the picture. This Christmas season, I am asking you to not crop the cross out of Christmas. Just like the cross on this pulpit just like the cross on this pulpit, it stands over and above the nativity scene. This cross overshadows the manger. Jesus, God in human flesh, was born to die. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, as we thank You for Your dear Son, help us to remember that Jesus Christ was born to die for our sins. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who is not walking for You, who is living for themselves and not dying to themselves, I pray that You would convict their hearts this morning. That You would challenge them in their deepest parts of their bodies. That they would recognize that they need to surrender to You. They need to turn from their own selfish desires and die to themselves if they would even have You. Lord, we know that this is all of grace, that You are the One 
who bring to life new things. Lord, I pray for new life in each and every one of us, that we would long to see your face, that we would anticipate the second coming of Christ, that we would anticipate the second advent, that while Christ came as a baby, he will be returning uh, with power, with the angels. And so, Lord, we ask that this Christmas season would be a time of remembrance, a time of remembrance of the cross of Christ. Lord, as we approach the new year, I pray that you would uh, make us a church that longs to see people surrender to you, that longs to make people bend the knee to you. Father, we ask these things in the beautiful name of, of Christ Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.